Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. A moving ship at sea won't develop barnacles, but a ship that's stagnant at dock will. Has your life become stagnant with mental barnacles? The problem may not be you. It could be your system. We have with us James Clear, author of Atomic Habits. He's going to share simple ways we can reboot our system, break bad habits, and create good ones. Don't go anywhere. This habit-changing segment starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a world-renowned personal development coach and sought-after speaker for many Fortune 500 companies. His work has been used by teams in the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA. In addition, he's been featured in the New York Times, Entrepreneur, Time Magazine, and on CBS This Morning, just to name a few. His New York Times best-selling book, Atomic Habits, has been translated into over 40 languages and sold over a million copies. Welcome to the show, James Clear. Hi, nice to talk to you. Oh, it's great to have you join with you here today. First, share with us what's the concept behind the title of the book, Atomic Habits. Sure. So I chose the phrase atomic for three reasons. There's kind of like three different meanings to the word atomic. So the, the first meaning is tiny or small, like an atom. And right. that's a central part of my philosophy. I think habits should be small and easy to do. The second meaning of the word atomic is the fundamental unit in a larger system. So like atoms build into molecules, molecules build into compounds and so on. And your habits are kind of like that. You know, they're like these little routines that you do throughout the day and you put them all together and you end up with this system of your daily routine. And then the third and final meaning of the word atomic is the source of immense energy or power. And I think if you put together all three of those meanings, you sort of understand the narrative arc of the book, which is if you make changes that are small and easy to do, and you layer them on top of each other, like units in a larger system, then you can get some really powerful or remarkable results in the long run. So Atomic Habits kind of encapsulates that sort of three-pronged meaning. Right. And the big message of Atomic Habits is, like you said, small changes can make positive influences on our life in the long term. Can you give us an example? Sure. So, you know, all sorts of things in life, they they have this kind of compounding nature to them. And what I mean by that, and anybody who's seen like a, a compound interest curve in finance is familiar with this, right. that type of curve where it's really shallow in the beginning and then it takes off later, you got that hockey stick growth. The hallmark of any compounding process is that all the greatest returns are delayed. And so habits are not exactly like compound interest, but they, they feel like that a lot of the time because the process of getting 1% better, 1% worse, making a slight improvement or a slight decline, it doesn't feel like much on any given day. You know, like um, what is the difference between eating a burger and fries for lunch or eating a salad? On any given day, not a whole lot. You know, your body looks the same in the mirror at the end of the night, the scale hasn't really changed. It's only two or five or 10 years later that you turn around and you're like, oh wow, those daily choices really do add up. And so this idea of getting 1% better each day, it's, it's similar to compounding in the sense that it doesn't feel like much in the beginning, but it turns out to be very significant in the long run. And that's exactly what you see with habits, whether we're talking about your knowledge and your reading habits or your physical fitness and your eating and training habits or your finances and your, um, your money habits. So 
you see that same pattern over and over again. These small changes feel insignificant in the moment, but they end up mattering a lot in the long run. Yeah, I know so many people, they want this all or nothing, and I'm glad you brought up diet because I have a patient that came in wanting to lose 40 pounds. I laid out this great diet plan for her to follow, and three weeks later, she quits. And I asked her why, and she told me she was only losing two and a half pounds per week, and that just wasn't quick enough for her. And I asked her how long she'd been 40 pounds overweight, and she told me over a decade. She couldn't grasp the concept that losing just two and a half pounds per week meant she'd reach her goal in 120 days. Now, Baby steps, they're better than no steps, but why do people choose no steps? You know, it's, yeah, that's an interesting, an interesting question, interesting thing. Um, I, you know, I've heard different phrases like similar to what you're mentioning over the years that, you know, if it took you two years to get to this point um, with your bad habits, it's probably going to take that long with your good habits to get out of it, right? It's like it's not, uh, it's not going to be some rapid switch. But uh, to answer your question, why is it so easy for us to? slide into bad behaviors or unproductive behaviors? Yeah. Why is it so easy to build good ha or bad habits and seemingly so hard to build good ones? And I think one of the reasons, um, one reason is that bad habits are often really simple and easy to do. Uh, and so that's a lesson that we can take and apply to our good habits. Let's right. make it as simple and as easy as possible. But another reason, I think this is a this kind of how I define what is a good habit and what is a bad habit. Your bad habits, they still serve you in some way, which is why you continue to repeat them. But if we talk about behaviors as producing multiple outcomes across time, so broadly speaking, there's like an immediate or a near-term outcome, and then there's like a long-term or an ultimate outcome, what you find is that with bad habits, it's often the immediate outcome is actually often kind of favorable. Like the immediate outcome of eating a donut is it's sweet, it's sugary, it's tasty, it feels good. It's only the ultimate outcome, if you keep repeating that behavior for a year or two years or whatever, that's unfavorable. Or even smoking a cigarette. Like the immediate outcome of smoking a cigarette might be that you socialize with coworkers or you get to take a break from work or you curb your nicotine craving. The immediate outcome might be favorable, even though the long-term outcome is very right. unfavorable. With good habits though, that is often reversed. So like, like the immediate outcome of going to the gym for a week isn't really a whole lot. Like if anything, your body's sore, you don't, you look yeah. the same in the mirror, you haven't really changed that much. Um, it's only the ultimate outcome, if you stick with it for a year or two, that's favorable. So the, the summary, the way I like to, to summarize that is, the cost of your good habits is in the present. The cost of your bad habits is in the future. And so by sticking with bad habits, it's almost like you're accruing a debt that needs to be repaid, but yeah. you don't feel it right now. And so I think the answer to your question is, it's often easier for people to, to want to do nothing or to throw up a zero uh, in the case of building a good habit because it, it feels better in the moment, even though we know it won't pay off for us in the long run. True. And I've given this a lot of thought as well. I think one of the biggest roadblocks keeping people from moving forward is our routine. People, we eat at the same restaurants, order the same items on the menu, drive the same way to and from work. Once somebody follows your system and they change their routine, won't those new habits eventually turn into a routine? In other words, can people be happy with the status quo or should we constantly be reinventing ourselves? Well, um, 
to a certain degree, you are constantly reinventing yourself, whether you're thinking about it consciously or not. It's kind of similar to that old quote of like, you know, no man steps into the same river twice because he's not the same man and it's not the same river sort of thing. Right. So we're always, you're always kind of continually editing yourself. I sort of think about it more like retouching a painting. You know, it mostly stays the same, but maybe there's a little bit of adjustment there. Um, right. And you are right, though, that when we got get locked into our routines and patterns, there tends to be less... Uh, change over the long run. We sort of, uh, we don't like uncertainty. And once we know what to expect, even if there are drawbacks, we know what they are. And so we're less worried of the problem that we know than of the problem that we don't know or that we're unsure about. Um, but I think the answer to your question, the, maybe the more practical takeaway is that, yes, you can change your routines. And yes, you can change your, your behaviors and your sense of self or the way that you look at yourself in the long run. And this is a concept that in atomic habits, I refer to it as identity-based habits. And it's this, the core idea is that every action you take is like a vote for the type of person you want to become. And so like every morning that you, uh, your habits are kind of how you like embody a particular identity. So every morning that you make your bed, you embody the identity of someone who's clean and organized. Every time you do one push-up, you embody the identity of someone who doesn't miss workouts. Every time you write one sentence, you embody the identity of someone who is a writer. And I think ultimately, true identity, true behavior change is identity change. So what you're really looking to do, we often talk about habits as like being this pathway to external results, like they'll help you lose weight or they'll help you make more money or reduce stress. And all right. that stuff is true. And that's great that habits can do that. But I think the real reason, the deeper reason that habits matter is that they provide evidence of the type of person that you are. And so the more that you cast these votes for being a new type of person, the more that you actually believe it about yourself, it feels authentic. And so the ultimate goal is like, like the goal is not to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner, right? Like the goal is not to do a silent right. meditation retreat. It's to become a meditator. And so really what we're looking to do is to look at ourselves in a new way to establish this new identity. And when you believe it, because your habits provide evidence for it, then it becomes much easier to stick with the behavior because it's just like, oh, this is what I normally do. And you hear you hear people say that when they've been through transformations. They'll say like, yeah, it used to be a real hassle for me to like stick to working out, but now I can't imagine not going to the gym. Or I had to try really hard in the beginning to, to stick with meditation, but now like I'm a meditator. And it's that shift in identity that I think really gets behaviors to stick in the long run. Yeah, that brings up another question. I've had various experts on the show sharing how long it takes to break a habit. And of course, the common answer is 21 days to, to, to make a habit. What's your opinion? How long does it take to break a bad habit, add new habits? Is there, is there a time frame? Well, uh, first of all, the, I mean, the honest answer is it depends. Um, but that's obvious as soon as you state it because you realize different habits are going to have different levels of difficulty. So like, a common answer that's going around right now is 66 days because there was one study that showed that on average it took about 66 days. But even in that study, the range was quite wide, like something really simple, like drinking a glass of water at lunch might be a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And then something more difficult, like going for a two mile run after work every day might take seven or eight or nine months. So not only that, there's a range between the behaviors. But also, you cannot have a habit outside of an environment. Like we live our whole lives in different contexts and environments. And you can imagine some environments are more con conducive to a particular habit than others. So someone who's trying to build the habit of doing yoga for um, you know, 10 minutes each day 
if you grow up in a house of athletes or people who work out consistently, that's an environment where that behavior is kind of pretty normal. If you grow up in a house where nobody is working out, then you're running against the grain of the social environment. So there's going to be a variance even among the same behavior, depending on the environment. But I think the, the true answer, the honest answer to this is not 21 days or 30 days or 66 days. The honest answer to how long does it take to build a habit is forever because if you stop doing it, it's no longer a habit. And so I think the, the downside of framing things like that, uh, oh, you need to do this for a 30 day challenge or whatever, is it makes people feel like habits are a finish line to be crossed when in reality they're a lifestyle to be lived. And so what you're really looking for is a small, non-threatening, sustainable change that you can integrate into your lifestyle and make your new normal. And then once you're there, you can look for ways to expand and upgrade it. But you're really looking to make um, a permanent lifestyle change and not a short like sprint and then yeah. you cross this finish line and oh, now you're a healthy person or now you're a productive person or whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. I've been enjoying your book. I've got a lot of good golden nuggets out of it. One thing I really loved is you talk about get into the habit of saying, I, ha I, I have to use the phrase I get to. So get rid of the I have to and I get to. How does changing that one word make such a difference? Yeah, I, I like little strategies like this. I've been thinking about them more. I, I like to come across more of them. I'm, I really like to refer to them as like mindset shifts or reframes or something right. like that. But, you know, as you mentioned, like it's true that you have to do a lot of things like maybe you have to tape, drop your kids off at school or you have to finish this report for work. Or you have to go to the gym, et cetera. But it's also true that you get to do those things. You get to drop your kids off at school and you get to finish the report and you get to work out each day. And I think that simple reframe helps you see the opportunity rather than the obligation in your normal tasks. And I like things like that because, and this is something that's central to habits as well, all the behaviors that we take, they are often a result of the meaning that we assign to a particular situation. So, you know, if you are, if you have a habit of eating Doritos, it's because you assign a positive meaning to the bag of Doritos. You think, oh, those will be tasty and enjoyable. And um, it's possible that you can assign other meanings to experiences in life. And once you realize that, that you're, you're not actually changing the underlying facts of the situation. We're still saying, no, there's, there's a physical reality. There's some truth here. Like, I'm not going to deny what the facts are. But within the facts, there's the opportunity to tell different stories. And if that's true, if you buy into that idea, then my thinking is always, why not tell yourself the most empowering story, uh, the most empowering story possible, right? And that's kind of what I have to versus I get to comes back to. It's like... The truth of this matter is going to be the same either way, but I may may as well tell myself a version of the story or tell myself a more empowering narrative, uh, tell myself a version that, that benefits me rather than one that hinders me. Yeah, and it's a quick mindset different. It really makes you just look at simple things you do all day differently. And I think, that, like you said, baby steps, that little small little change in your thought pattern, one word, it really, it really does a difference. Let me ask you, is there a difference between somebody setting goals and creating systems? I think so. Um, sometimes people get, uh, you know, kind of like pedantic about it or whatever. And they say, well, maybe your goal is to build a better system or whatever. But I, I think the distinction is that um, your goal is your desired outcome. Your system is the collection of daily habits that you follow. And if there is ever a gap between your system and your goal, between your desired outcome and your daily habits, your daily habits will always win, right? Like almost by definition, your current habits are perfectly designed to deliver your current results, 
whatever system you've been running for the last six months or so, whatever habits you've been repeating, that has carried you almost inevitably to where you're at right now. And in fact, if you if you look at most areas of life, your outcomes are sort of like a lagging measure of your habits, like your uh, your bank account is a lagging measure of your financial habits or your physical fitness is a lagging measure of your eating and training habits. Even like the clutter on your desk in your uh, office or in your garage is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. And so we all so badly want the outcomes to change in life. We also badly want these different results, but usually the outcomes aren't the thing that needs to change. It's like fix the inputs and the outputs will fix themselves. Fix the, the daily habits, the system, and the results, the goal will naturally be achieved. So I'm not saying, I do wanna clarify, I'm not saying that goals are totally useless. You know, it's right. like goals are useful for setting a sense of direction. They're, they're good for helping you determine where you want to direct your energy. They're also good as a filter. Um, you know, if you know your goal and somebody comes to you and says, hey, I have this opportunity or do you want to help out with X, Y, Z thing? You can run it through the filter of your goal and be like, oh, does that help me achieve that or not? And if not, then it's easier to say no. So goals are useful. Uh, they may be necessary, but they're not sufficient for success. And I think uh, rather than focusing on the outcomes, we should spend much more time focusing on the daily habits, the system that we're running. Yeah, good answer. Now, in your experience after lecturing and coaching so many thousands of people over the years, I'm curious, what simple strategy have you shared that creates the biggest aha moment for people? Maybe that one hurdle that most people believe is set really high in their mind, and then you simplify it and bring it to an attainable level. Is there one particular uh, I do think there are kind of there's two or three ideas that do seem to stick out a lot. So I'll give you I'll give you two that are like sort of philosophical ideas, uh -huh. like just a different way to look at the world, and then one that's like a practical action step. Sure. So uh, we've already hinted kind of at the two big ideas. So the first one that I mentioned. Um, Every action you take is like a vote for the type of person you want to become. A lot of people find that to be an inspiring or interesting idea that right. uh, when I'm taking these actions, when I'm building these habits, I'm not just doing it for the, what it directly results in. I'm also doing it because it reinforces my desired identity. So that, that I think is one big one. The second one, and this is directly related to your question just a moment ago about systems and goals. The way that I like to phrase that or summarize that is to say, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And I think that strikes people often as well, where they realize, oh, I've been told all this time, I need to be more ambitious. I need to set a bigger goal. I need to set my sights higher. And that's fine. But the truth is, you're not going to make any meaningful progress until the system changes. And in fact, most of the winners and losers in certain domains, they often have the same goals. Like if there's a job opening and 100 people apply, every candidate has the goal of getting the job. It's not the goal that changes the, the outcome. It's the system that people are following, the daily habits, the way they prepare. Same thing is true for, you know, if you have 25 people competing in the Olympics, they all have the goal of winning the gold medal. It's not the right. goal that changes the outcome. So that idea that you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. That's the, the second big philosophical one. And then the, the third one, like a more tactical idea, is a strategy for building better habits that I call the two-minute rule. Right. And what the two-minute rule says is take whatever habit you're trying to build and scale it down to something that takes two minutes or less to do. So read 30 books a year becomes read one page. Or do yoga four days a week becomes take out my yoga mat. 
And sometimes people resist that a little bit because they're like, okay, I know what you're saying, but like if this is some kind of mental trick, like I know I actually want to do the workout, so I'm not just trying to take my yoga mat out. And I have this story, this guy named Mitch, who's a reader of mine, and I mentioned him in the book, and he ended up losing over 100 pounds. And for the first six weeks that he went to the gym, he had this rule for himself where he wasn't allowed to stay for longer than five minutes. So he'd get in the car, drive to the gym, get out, do half an exercise, get back in the car, drive home. And it sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds silly. You're like, this is obviously not going to get the guy the results that he wants. But if you step back, what you realize is he was mastering the art of showing up, right? He was becoming the type of person that went to the gym four days a week, even if it was only for five minutes. And that, I think, is a much deeper truth about habits that often resonates with people, this idea that a habit must be established before it can be improved, right? It has to become the standard in your life before you can worry about optimizing or scaling it up into something more. And so the two-minute rule sort of helps you come overcome that hurdle and scale it down to something you can stick to and master the art of showing up. So I think those three ideas are, are ones that seem to stick with people. I love that show up, you know, that's great. Another thing you mentioned in Atomic Mass is how Boredom gets in the way of success and everybody stays so bored. But, you know, at the same time, they use these excuses, keeping them grounded, like I'll wait till the kids go to school or after they graduate high school or I'll get to it when I retire. How can people start igniting a match today so they can fan the flames of a new tomorrow and stop using that excuse? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, you do see that people who uh, perform at a really high level, they often kind of have this capability where, for lack of a better phrase, they fall in love with boredom. Um, you know, at some point, they the the repetition of it, they kind of accept that that's uh, part of the process, that you're not always going to feel uh, excited or like it's novel. And this is one of actually the downsides of building a new habit, which is that as something becomes more habitual, it also becomes more expected and routine. And when we know what to expect, we're less likely to be surprised. And if we're less likely to be surprised, then it doesn't feel as novel. We're not as delighted as often. We start to get bored. And so uh, the process of mastery often has this weird tension in it, which is that simultaneously you need to fall in love with boredom and stick with the process, stick with the, the habit. And yet what you also see is that often those people have this capability where they can find a new detail of the process to get really interested in. And it's that detail that make, keeps it interesting but gets them to continue to show up. So for example, um, two examples. One is writing. So for me, you know, I've written hundreds of articles now. I've written this book. I, you know, there's parts of the process that feel like very routine or maybe kind of boring. So I need something to spice it up. So I might pick something like, I'm gonna to try to write the best possible introductory sentence when I'm working on this article. So I may pull some of my favorite books off the shelf. How do they open each of their chapters? Or look at the top articles on the New York Times. How did the, each of those start? And you kind of build this little database of introductory sentence ideas. And maybe I can use one of those or build off of one of those for the next article I'm working on. So the pro, all most of the process of the writing habit is the same but I've got some little detail that makes it a little interesting this time. Um, with exercise habits, same kind of thing. I've been training in the gym for, I don't know, about a decade now. And so you don't always feel like working out, but I try to pick something for each workout, a different technique to try for uh, one of the exercises or some different muscle group to focus on, something that keeps it fresh despite the repetition. 
Fantastic. And the minute we have left, you give such great information. Anything else we didn't cover that you'd like the listeners to know? Well, obviously, Atomic Habits covers the, the topics in much more detail than we can go into here. So if people are interested, they can feel free to check that out. But uh, there is one aspect that I think is really crucial to building better habits that we haven't been able to, to touch on yet, and that's the social environment. The expectations of the people around us, the tribes that we are in, it's kind of like this gravity that pulls on us and like pulls our behavior in that direction. And so I think the practical takeaway is that you want to join a group, to join a tribe, where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Because if it's normal in that group, then it's going to be attractive for you to stick with it. It's going to be like by doing the habit, it's a signal to other people that you fit in. And most people, if they have to choose, am I ostracized from the group, but I have the habits I want? Or do I not have habits? I have the habits I don't really love, but I get to fit in. Most people often choose belonging over improvement. And so you don't want to have to choose between those two. You want to get the social environment and your personal desires aligned. Great. So peer pressure is a good thing as long as you pick the right peers. <laughs> right. It can be. Yeah, that's a good summary. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being here and sharing your insights and making things so clear, pun intended there, uh, to get your copy of James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Great book. Everybody needs this. So I want you to go to atomichabits.com. And while there, be sure and sign up for his free newsletter and have all these tips of healthy habits and better thinking and better performance sent directly to your inbox. You can follow James on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at James Clear from my daily social media post. You can follow me at Dr. David Friedman, except for Instagram, where you'll find me at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard uh, James share something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.